Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everybody, welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Adam Straw. Hello, everyone. Adam Straw, the most delightful human being in my vicinity, one of the best people to hop in, help me out on a podcast. How are you uh, doing? Stop it, but go on. <laughs> no, <laughs> but keep going. I know, right? We um, thought we'd do a bit of a mix of things because there's various news items to cover and a few breaking things this morning, at least in UK time. And then we're going to check in and do have a conversation. Do you have a conversation? Do, do have, have a conversation. Do has to conversation. Please do on the state of 2023's video games and maybe a little bit about what's going to happen in 2024. But I want to cover the news. First thing here is um, the general conversation around what's happening with GTA 6 and Rockstar and Dan Hauser's new company, Absurd Ventures. Um, for those people who will remember the legacy of Dan Hauser, let's say, um, <laughs> as one of the main people over at Rockstar, one of the co-founders, um, he left across the last few years and formed Absurd Ventures, and they've just hired uh, fellow ex-Rockstar royalty, Laszlo Jones and Michael Unsworth. Um, Unsworth was Rockstar's former vice president of writing. He's joined as head of story and creative management, and Laszlo Jones is now on board as executive producer. Um, after being a writer and a producer beforehand. I just want to mention this because it's interesting seeing the the way all the Rockstar stuff has played out um, over the last few years. Obviously, they've become known as the GTA Online studio. Mm. Their old school identity is kind of barely there anymore. Um, and it was kind of endemic of, or that all kind of got crystallized when the GTA Definitive Edition came out and it was just threadbare. It was given to uh, Grove Street Games, like it was a separate dev. They didn't really seem to care about it in terms of honoring that original legacy. And I think it's fascinating looking at the reality of GTA 6. Obviously, it's going to be the biggest game of all time, mm-hmm. like by far, but the reality of who's actually putting it together, like Sam Hauser's still there, who's another co-founder, the brother of Dan, mm. um, but you've got Dan Hauser breaking away, and he was like lead writer on Red Dead Redemption 2, um, I did a whole video on how I thought the Red Dead Redemption 2 was about the death of Rockstar, and like the, the death of their old school mentality, and all mm. the more kind of over-the-top stuff that they used to do in the old <laughs> GTAs, um, and then they kind of you know filtered that through Red Dead 2, and the death of the Old West, and all that kind of stuff, um, but yeah, just that talking point around that idea of, if you're a creatively-minded person, with a bunch of ideas and you want to get them into a game that's a certain size, may, how, how possible is that? And are you better off just breaking away and forming something else? What is the, What actually is GTA 6 without any of these key individuals? I know that like GTA 6 has been worked on for over 10 years now. So mm. assumedly these veterans, these original people would have been part of it at some point. And I just, I wonder what the hell GTA 6 is without almost any of the key biggest figures that were there beforehand. It's really interesting because we see this a lot, right? When you get like big key figures like, 
like this who basically create the source like mm. create the formula of mm. like the game and then obviously like their games and like their little babies come out and they're incredible and they <laughs> do really really well mm-hmm. and that's amazing but then when these people move on and do other things or like whether they leave or like focus on other projects and you get other people there who are then trying to kind of like claw back like the magic that they created so mm-hmm. they're still trying to like you know, lay within the source that they made, so to speak. And because it wasn't their baby to begin with, that can go one of either way, Mm -hmm. whether it kind of like, it's a shadow of what was there. We saw that with Mass Effect Andromeda, Mm -hmm. where, you know, these weren't the the kind of the key players of uh, Bioware, because they had obviously left at this point. Mm -hmm. And this was like almost like the B team of Bioware trying to claw back at what made that game incredible, right? Mm -hmm. The series incredible. And we kind of, we get that quite often here. And, you know, Bioware is a good company to compare it with, actually, because like when Mass Effect was out at the time, it was one of the biggest, like, trilogies it still is of all time and rightfully so the first two games are like magic i love a lot of the third game but obviously that ending dear god but <laughs> you know like and then what, what after the after that trilogy basically like the heads of the big guys that we all know and love right okay we're checking out see you and yeah. obviously you can talk a lot about like you know being bought out by ea and all of the decisions and everything that were forced mm-hmm. upon them with uh, obviously mass effect 3 and then dragon age as well mm-hmm. And then, you know, you look at someone like, you know, they were kind of scrambling as well at one point. And then for Anthem, they were like, right, well, let's bring back Drew Carpisham, who was like one of their big writers, helped to form the identity of Mass Effect as well and all the writing there. And, you know, like you and I were talking about this before, Scott, like a lot of the writing and law in Anthem is actually really good. Yeah, solid it's, enough. It's yeah. just the gameplay that's horrendous because of the live <laughs> service angle that they were going for there. And then Drew Carpisham was like, I'm out, goodbye. Yeah. And it's one of those things, unfortunately, where you know, creators now, it's like they started so independently and like didn't have all of these different expectations and like all these fingers in the pies mm-hmm. of like trying to make, keep people happy by doing these certain things, by generating money mm-hmm. when they just had like that playground just to make things, right? And mm-hmm. that's probably why GTA is one of those franchises which is known for being the big thing where you can just mess around and do a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? Think about the classic GTAs where, as you said, they were wacky, they were trying yeah. different things and because they had the freedom to do that. Whereas now going forward, it's it's really, really interesting to see what they're going to do with GTA 6 because, as you said, it's polarizing where Red Dead sits and where GTA sits. They're very different tonally, yeah. but almost at the same time, if you look at GTA 5, you can kind of see a little bit of that like kind of funneling through that more Ooh. serious tone and things like that. Yeah, it's like at least they felt authored. Like yes. I feel like GTA Online, one of the biggest things that people have against GTA Online over the years is just that it feels like this never-ending thing where it's like, okay, we'll get another DLC and another DLC. Yeah. Like GTA 5 story content was cancelled, mm-hmm. um, which has kind of started showing up again. People have started looking at uh, mining the PC version, looking at various things that might have been in that DLC. A jetpack was mentioned, which is like a... <laughs> <laughs> that you could have potentially done from San Andreas. Um, but yeah, it's worth touching in on where the actual individuals that helped make GTA what it is, where they've ended up. Um, like I said before, Sam Hauser's still there. He was the dude that put the tweet out, um, you know, saying that GTA 6 is going to have a, a trailer or something else at the start of December. So we'll see what that thing turns into. Mm. And we know from the gameplay leak like that it is based around the heist like model, which is what leaked beforehand. Um, and it seems like it's, you know, it's going to sell millions anyway, oh my God, billions yeah. or whatever. Um, but I think it's interesting looking at where those core individuals ended up Um, because you look at the likes of like Ken Levine like after doing Bioshock um, you know he's still turning his next game over and that's been that's been rebooted and swapped out loads of times across the last 10 years Um, and sort of touching in on um, what's happening with Absurd Ventures which is Dan Hauser's new company like I said former lead writer of a lot of Rockstar projects Um, this is written up by Gamatsu but um, Absurd Ventures which is his new studio um, are working on two overall universes storytelling universes one of them is called American Caper centers on two normal badly damaged American families 
families in a world of corrupt businesses, inept politics, and bungling crime, American Caper will debut as a graphic novel that's being illustrated by renowned comic book artist Simon Bisley. And he's also doing A Bitter Paradise, an existential suspense thriller set in the near future, a 12-episode audio fiction series based on a better better universe universe, um, currently in production. Um, And they're working with award-winning audio company Q Code Media. I only mention that because um, it potentially stands in stark contrast to the more like corporate or safe or expected approach that GTA Online has at least taken that I hope isn't in GTA 6's main story. Mm. Um, But again, I mention this because this is what the dude who was one of the lead writers is going off to do with a different studio. And now they've acquired, like I said, two other former Rockstar royalty people. Um, Leslie Benzies is another veteran person who worked on many uh, different Rockstar games. And there was a bunch of leaked emails that came out after Red Dead Redemption 1 about how he was the guy, the producer, who brought that game together. Um, I think it was Dan Hauser, might have been Sam Hauser, um, who did an email back then um, saying that everything was chaos. They were trying to make this game come together. Oof. And we need the Benz. That was the line that did the rounds <laughs> back then, was we need the Benz. And Leslie Benzies came in and made that game work. He's mm. no longer there at Rockstar either. Um, he's working on a game called Everywhere. It was at the, um, I think it was at the Summer, Summer Games show, uh, show earlier this year. and might be at the Game Awards this year as well. Um, but yeah, we're throwing those things in, in terms of like, if you're keeping an eye on GTA, wondering what the hell kind of game it's going to be. Um, to me, it's likely going to favor more GTA Online stuff. It, mm. it's, we're waiting to see what the hell they're going to do with the future of GTA Online. Um, and I'm just curious, like the those big creative minds are doing many other things, clearly. And I wonder what state GTA 6 is going to be in when it finally comes out. Like you've got a 10 year plus development cycle with a lot of the veteran writers and minds and um, that group chemistry that went into those original titles no longer there anymore. Mm. So um, we'll see. Um, next news item down is from Axios.com with Take-Two Interactive being sued in federal court by a minor judicial assistant represented by their mum, um, oh, which is man. hilarious. <laughs> um, so this is filed back on November 17th. The suit alleges that because any virtual currency bought in a video game, in this case NBA, the 2K games, um, because because that virtual currency can't be transferred over to a new game, that this qualifies as unfair, illegal, and a greedy practice that violates California's civil theft laws. Um, Take two are yet to respond to this, um, but Axios do note that they were sued over loot boxes in October last year, but that was resolved out of court in the end. So I guess we'll see what happens. I feel like every sort of few months there's another lawsuit that springs up around, um, you know, like suing someone for like misinformation or the way that these um, practices, the predatory nature of it, the fact that you can just plug your credit card in something and then mm. maybe a minor or someone who doesn't fully know exactly what they're buying just clicks a button over and over again um, and gets a whole bunch of um, you know loot boxes or microtransactions or whatever when they don't fully understand what they're doing. Um, in this case, um, I have like personal experience with this because I Ooh. play the WWE 2K games mainly to download AEW rosters. I'm an <laughs> AEW wrestling fan. Um, but they've done a thing with this year's game where last year's game's servers were taken offline faster than ever before to make you get the new version. If you mm. want to download any community creations, use the online modes, you've got to get the new version. And I wonder um, how much this is 2K um, and Take 2 at the top. Overall, just experimenting with that. How do we force a, a player base to migrate over? Like, hey, you spend all this money on this virtual currency. Um, it doesn't even migrate over anyway, but if you want to be able to use that stuff, get yourself on the new version. Mm. And you're better off buying there instead. Um, what do you think of the overall, like that fact that like, servers are a reality that needs to be maintained or whatever, but forcing people to get the newest version over and over again? I mean, I have to say, first of all, being represented by their mother in court, I mean, that's just, <laughs> that is epic boss Go, mom. I know, right? Go, mom, take them down. I love that type of stuff. But I mean, you know what doesn't get sued is good old fashioned good storytelling. And like, you know, like I I just, it drives me insane. Like, you know, this whole format of people thinking like this, 
it, we've gone other days, it seems, where like we just focus on, you know what, let's make good gameplay and just give like gamers a really good experience in the realms of what we want to design. Mm-hmm. But this type of thing, like the fact that it exists still blows my mind. Right. Like when we think about like a lot of the most successful games of this year, which obviously we'll go on and talk to a little bit more, most of that we're going to talk about is single player experiences that mm-hmm. don't have any of this going on or where that a lot of this is optional. Mm-hmm. You, know, like, you know, you look at stuff like Assassin's Creed Mirage where you can like buy like certain currencies to buy certain things, which are optional, right? Mm-hmm. But then you get games like this where like it's a pres- it's set like the precedent of basically you need this stuff in order to enjoy the game. Yes. And it just blows my mind like the legalities around that. And it's it's come at a really good time that stuff like this. I mean, obviously not for the people involved that it's happening to, but it's really marking a point for the industry of like how well this stuff obviously in the past has like made money and done, mm-hmm. but how that reflects going forward, right? So like when game developers are now, we talked about GTA 6, like when game developers are going forward, how they're going to implement if they do or even think about putting this stuff in the game because of the legal ramifications and kind of rightfully so. Mm. It's so easy now for people to get tricked into or to think, oh, I've got to buy like so much into this in order to enjoy this game or in order to add to this game. You know, whether that be younger gamers, obviously, who are like doing that or whatever it may be. But it's just, it's something that it's really stale and it's really, yeah. it's like it basically doors opening on the gaming industry and saying, this is the corporate front, like this, this is the corporations, <laughs> we want your money. Uh, and it's like gone of the days now of like <clears throat> just focusing elsewhere on that. This is kind of the new thing. And it seems like games now, people are getting smarter about it, right? And like games are receiving backlash for that. I mean, look mm-hmm. at like, Kill the Justice League. Like, that whole game's gone into a full year. Yeah, I'll be amazed if that sells well. Can you imagine? (laughs) But again, like, it's just this, it's this corporate front of where, like, for a long time, it was dictating games like the live service, things like this, like online currency. Mm. It really did become, like, loot boxes. Dear God, why did we ever go through a phase of loot boxes? (laughs) My God, they were never a good thing. (laughs) And yet, here we are. And, like, they've slowly died off now, you see. So, like... So have NFTs as well. Absolutely. Mm. Thank God for that. So it's nice that we're now getting these news stories which are revealing the backlash of that and saying, you know, hopefully it's putting that story into like developers' minds of this thing that used to work where we were, you know, cashing in on all the money. Maybe we need to look at something else, which is a lot fairer and Mm. provides enjoyment for actual gamers. Yeah. One thing I'm fascinated by with all of this is the idea, the the pivot that seems to be happening with Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty to go to an overall... Um, like platform model, like we know that Ubisoft are planning Assassin's Creed Infinity, which would then have various story modes, multiplayer modes, whatever the hell plugged into it. And the Call of Duty HQ thing is what's being mentioned as the future mm-hmm. of Call of Duty, um, either because of the um, the overall acquisition on the Microsoft side or because of something they were steering into anyway. Um, but that idea of how long do you wait between releases and how much do you try and force someone to go to the next game, um, that idea of being fair on the consumer side is obviously what should be the most important part. I think the idea of saying, hey, you're currency is no longer valid or you need to buy the new game or the servers are going offline very soon. Mm. I get the uh, game development reality of that. Like if you want a team to actually maintain those servers or um, look after that stuff, they're going to need to be paid. Like to some degree, things like loot boxes or microtransactions or whatever can go in that direction. Um, But at the same time, none of it feels like it is this charitable philanthropic thing. It feels like the most um, like abusive predatory approach to it possible, where it's let's mine as much um, love the consumer has for the product and get as much money out of it as possible. True that. Um, So yeah, at the minute, this seems like an ongoing thing, um, but I guess we'll see what happens. The fact that it was settled out of court last October when the decision, when the um, discussion was over loot boxes, makes me think that'll happen again. Um, And because it is a miner who is at the heart of this whole thing, that makes me think that someone got a bit too like fast 
with the purchase button and it'll be <laughs> something that on the legal side, on the company side, mm. they'll just be able to squash that outside of court and it won't go any further. But I do think the frequency that these are coming up is interesting. Yes. Um, and I think that the reality of the, uh, the game side when they're figuring out how much do we space these things out? Do we need annual releases? Like I said, that's what Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed mm. are in theory moving away from. Um, I think that's fascinating, and I guess we'll see. Because um, people are still coughing up the money to buy these things. Modern Warfare 3 still sold really well, mm-hmm. um, despite that game being pretty damn broken. Yikes. And mostly glorified DLC, um, but we'll see. Mm. I just want to talk briefly as well about, uh, there was an NPR article of an interview recently, which this has been a year of, unfortunately, like, you know, layoffs within the video game industry. Oh, like, pretty, pretty much, you, know, you think of all of the different video game, like, developers and, like, production companies and everything. Like, we've seen layoffs in very, whether big amounts, small amounts, etc. But, uh, yes, NPR conducted in an interview with Amir uh, Sadvat, which who is a business developer director at Tencent Games. Now, they have gone on to create something called the Games Jobs Workshop, which is basically a resource you can use on LinkedIn to help people basically get jobs within the games industry again. Okay. So it's really, really incredible. Like, they've even said, you know, like, we've placed over 800 people in jobs by using this. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to have that little bit of pickup of that someone's actually seen something that's happening terrible within the gaming industry. And normally we see, like, you know, things happen in response to that or whatever. But this is a nice kind of little pick-me-up of a year of like horrendous <laughs> drop-offs where somebody's actually doing something to help people get back their job, get jobs back within the game industry. Mm-hmm. And like obviously within the interview, they were asked about what do you think's happened like this year that's caused so many layoffs. Now there's many different things we could talk about, but mm-hmm. their response was, you know, games like any industry has a lot of like viability basically vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. We have to think about COVID, for example. People were at home. There were a lot more demand for movies, for TV shows, for games. I think a lot of people in leaderships perhaps overinvested in that peak and thought that it was going to sustain forever. And of course, it did not. There are other reasons, but I think that is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really interesting to think about that because, of course, you know, that was a time like things keep coming back to COVID, right, during the pandemic. And we keep thinking about this all the time where everyone was locked inside, like suddenly video game development went from everybody in their houses rather than from like in studios and things like that. And, you know, it sounds like that overinvestment of, oh, we need more people working on these games. And then suddenly when it's like, okay, now they're out, let's slash half the workforce, which, you know, it's, it's happened a lot of places we felt that, and of course, but then it's just, I think it's a little bit nice of a pick me up, just the fact that we had this where somebody's actively who works within the gaming industry hasn't just gone on about, right, how do we recoup profits back, for Mm -hmm. example, which obviously, you know, People need to do, it's a business, but they've gone out there to actually do something which is helping people get jobs back within the gaming industry. Now, I just thought that was lovely. It's worth reading the the interview, which is extended, compared to my little condensed version. Um, but for people that have, you know, we're looking at, you know, just under 7,000 people who have lost their jobs now, which is crazy. It's lewd. I mean, especially across October, that number skyrocketed. Like, we're going to, yeah, yes. we'll do a little chat about the um, the state of 2023's gaming, because I, I have a few sort of things that I've picked up on where I, as much as it has been this incredible year where tons of games have came out, mm. we routinely see, like, the whole, it's the best year for gaming in history, <laughs> and it's like, it's not 1998, mate, but I mean, you know, it's, it's close. Um, or 2013, but it's, mm. it's that's the thing. It overlooks the reality of just how many of those games either didn't sell or how bloated those production teams be- or development teams became over the pandemic. And the reality of, you know, it ties into the monetization side of it. It ties into the reality of the loot boxes or the predatory microtransaction stuff um, as a potential way to keep bigger team sizes ticking over. Mm. Um, and it does kind of transition into that conversation on just what the hell 2023 feels like as a gaming year. Because the more I ask people about like, hey, what have you actually played this year? The more I talk to people who aren't living in the gaming 
gaming bubble. Like I, I touch in with my cousins and my brother-in-law and everyone else. And talking to them, they've played like three things this year. What? And most of the time they play a lot more. And I'm curious because whenever I talk to these um, more casual gamers, um, the sheer amount of stuff that's been available actually worked as like, a, it was. It made people bounce off. It was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm never going to keep up with all of this. Yeah. I'll hang back. Um, and then you've got the inflation side of things and the, the cost of living crisis and the general, yeah. um, you know, price uh, prices being raised in general. Like I saw Capcom for Dragon's Dogma 2. That's going to be their first £70, $70 game. Yeah. Um, and that is just the new, seems to be the new benchmark mm-hmm. price for everything. So it's kind of all relative. Um, but yeah, I guess we can um, transition to that. Stuff. I did want to very super quickly touch on, did you see Beyond Good and Evil 2's, uh, sorry, Beyond Good and Evil 1 is getting a 20th anniversary remake. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. 
fake. Oh no, I didn't it's, see that. Apparently this leaked um, yesterday on Ubisoft Plus and people could download <laughs> it immediately. Oh, it's wow. more of just like a visual overhaul. Like it's okay. still, it looks like it still plays the same. Yeah. Um, but it seems like they wanted to do something for the 20th anniversary edition and it leaked on Ubisoft Plus and then Ubisoft had to go on uh, Twitter and more social media and just say, oh, actually that wasn't ready for you guys yet. Uh, we actually want to unveil it in 2024. Oh man. But that is one of the plans that we have. Mm. Um, so super quick touching on that. Um, I think there'll be a trailer, a reveal thing at the Game Awards mm-hmm. because why not? Yeah. But yeah, in terms of lining up the years, that game came out in 2004. So it makes sense for that to of the 20th year, 2024. Yeah. Um, did you play that back in the day? I didn't. It's always one of the games oh. I always thought I was going to go back to and then just never did. Yeah, I never finished yeah. it. I remember starting it over and over and over again. Um, and I remember loving the art style and I remember yeah. loving that uh, Mamago Garage song, <laughs> which if anyone plays Beyond Good and Evil 2, the, uh, Beyond Good Evil 1, they'll know exactly what I mean. Um, but I do think this is interesting as well in terms of um, the way that Ubisoft are, where the Beyond Good and Evil 2 game has been shown off as like a tech demo. It was mm. first mentioned like five years ago. And then it was like, what the hell are you guys doing with this? But the fact that they're doing a remaster of the original, at least want to, they seem to want to keep the franchise in people's minds, which is a knock-on positive effect on two part two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we can talk about the year overall. I wanted to do like an open question. Do you think it has been one of the best years for gaming? For me personally, yes. Because mm-hmm. um, I've always said now, like I'll keep screaming this from the rooftops basically, <laughs> that I am somebody that, you know, like online gameplay, I'm not massively fussed on. For me, it's like that single solo, like story-based adventure that mm-hmm. I'm always here for. Hello, like my favorite game this year is Baldur's Gate 3. That ah. is everything, right? <laughs> but there's so many games this year that follow suit with just that offline single player mode. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, like it's done incredibly well. Like look at some of the, like the, the games I've got to shout out this year. I'm going to read them all out. They all share something very Please similar. Do. So like Resident Evil 4, mm-hmm. like, you know, Jedi Survivor, Baldur's Gate 3, Alan Wake 2, Assassin's Creed Mirage. Like, you know, a lot of them, I mean, look at like Resident Evil 4, you were just talking about the remake there, Beyond Good and Evil. Like, that is a classic remake that at first, you know, like after Resident Evil 3 came out, people were like, is it going to get made? Blah, 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 blah. There was actually another independent team that were making it outside of Capcom. Mm. And then suddenly that stopped because Capcom took over to make it. Mm-hmm. One of the most beloved games of all time. And yet they took that, remade it and still added some beautiful new source to it. And it's just a stunning game <laughs> to play. And again, you know, like separate ways, the DLC that came out, incredible, like so, so, so good. Mm-hmm. And then... I just, I love this. Like, I love that this for me has been a focus of a year of, right, you know, of course you've got games like Fortnite and everything like that, which will always kind of hang like as a cloud over the top of like (laughs) each year because that thing is just a juggernaut that's going to keep on trucking. But I just love that there's been a big focus of this. And I think for the gaming industry, this year has been very important, Mm -hmm. especially when you've had the likes of like, you know, uh, Baldur's Gate 3 coming out, which for me is so impactful. A game, a very old kind of style game in many ways, you know, mm-hmm. going back to the, the original Baldur's Gate and Everwinter Nights that Adam keeps talking about, but <laughs> it's so important because that was an era of games where before you had like, you know, a lot of like online focus, this was just a game that told a bloody good story and you mm-hmm. took companions along with you. Classic Bioware, classic big games like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this really speaks to the industry and says, look how well these games have done mm-hmm. and you don't need the likes of like, you know, microtransactions and loot boxes and like live service stuff to really make them sell. Of course, some of these games have a little bit of things like that in them. Of course Mm -hmm. they do. But that's not the main drawing factor. Like, you know, like Battlefront 2 and the mess of that was (laughs) that game out, right? And I I just, I love it for that reason where I can just go on and just play my own little story game and just enjoy it. Like Mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed Mirage is a return to form in many ways. You know, like it's really scaled back down and really just a streamlined focused Assassin's Creed game that we haven't had in years. Yeah, that was one of the things that I really liked about Mirage was how much 
which they ditch the whole. I mean, you, I think they, there are still microtransactions in that game. Mm-hmm. But you've yeah. got to, you got to go through multiple screens on the pause menu to find them. And plus, who cares? Well, like, yeah, and it's just that you're only buying like Helix credits or whatever to bypass some stuff. You're going to unlock a bunch of gear anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that game succeeds because it gets rid of all the wide ancillary stuff. It's yes. only the very, very end, the very final plot beat where they hang it. It specifically references a bunch of stuff from the DLC for Valhalla, where like I was like, I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> I thought this was like a nice little um, return to form kind of thing, and it still is gameplay wise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's been one of the best years for gaming in terms of the breadth of releases. Like yeah. the fact that we're getting Baldur's Gate 3, which like you said, channels old school Bioware or channels old school um, tabletop top-down RPGs. Yes. Um, right next to the likes of like like the Robocop game. I cannot stop <laughs> screaming about I love that thing. It's great. Um, just such a nice, um, clearly like very intentionally budgeted, quite small scale game that looks very um, impressive in the environments. It's running on Unreal 5, mm. but just absolutely nails its thematics and its narrative. And it's like, we. I was not expecting the Robocop game to be one of the best written games of the year, yeah, but it's go. like it, uh, you're playing through and unlocking different abilities and exploring this city in a way that reflects the overall thematic nature of what Robocop is as a person. And like, you get to have so much agency in that. And it's a really, really cool little game, but it's the breadth of stuff for me that stands out. Like some years, um, it's very it's very obvious that like a game of the year is a certain indie release that has like enough passion to it or enough soul to it. Yeah. Um, or it's very obvious that something really, really big like God of War 2018 or whatever is like you know, stepping out in front. Yes. This year, and especially in contrast to last year, has just been such a breadth of quality. And there's so many titles, especially Alan Wake 2 and yes. Baldur's Gate 3, where I was just playing through them going like, I'm so glad I get to see this in my life. Like, it's just, <laughs> such a weird like mortal comment on it. But I remember finishing Baldur's Gate 3 and then just being like, I'm so glad that that's in my timeline. Yep. Like, it's, it's one of those things <laughs> where like, you know, you think back on how far the industry's come. And I love old school arcades. I love Atari, I love old school Nintendo yeah. and everything and Sega. Um, but you look at the contrast and it's like, you're still getting those old school games. And I want to shout out, I'm going to do a video on this, but I um, want to shout out the likes of The Making of Karataka, which is a, a game from, I always get the dev name wrong. It's either Digital Extremes or Digital something else. <laughs> and they are working on uh, like sort of making of, playable making of the various games. And Karataka was the first game to use rotoscoping where it was like um, Jordan Mechner, the dude that did Prince of Persia. Um, he made this game called Karataka or Karatika or whatever, <laughs> where he sort of, his dad would like run through a forest and he would like try and film him and then sketch out the pixels around the motion so it looked like a person running. That's like, cool. And it's like this boundary breaking, incredible release mm-hmm. that got a re-release this year, um, but in this making of package. And it's like, you get all the archive footage, you get an interview with like a modern interview with Mechner and with his dad, who's like an old um, piano player. Mm. Um, just walking you through the making of that game. And I'm like, that's one of the most important releases of the year. Like mm-hmm. the like it's so important for um video game history. It's so it's such a good um, you know, like reinforcement that making of stuff is really important. And then the actual the modern day devs went in and made a modern version of the game to show what it might look like if it released right now. Oh, man. And I'm like, it's such a perfect little package. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's the breadth of it. That's right next to a Baldur's Gate 3 or an yeah. Alan Wake or whatever. And uh, and for me, yeah, it's been the breadth of it. I will say though, like there's quite a few things where I think, and this is like across the board in entertainment, I don't know if you agree with this, but the amount of brands that have taken over, like yeah. the idea that most of the top games of the year are within a set or within a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of, I go back and forward on it. I don't like the safety of the brand thing. I would want the new idea. And f- there's always some There's always some part of me that thinks it's a bit of a shame when there's a new cool idea, but it's within a brand for the sake of being in a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of that stuff? Because it was like, there was a lot of safe releases this year as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we've had like a lot of news within the video game industry as well. Like companies been bought out basically. Like Microsoft mm-hmm. has basically swept along and like bought so many companies, right? Mm-hmm. And like, 
I don't know. I go back and forward on it. We see this in TV as well. Like Disney is basically dominating like the TV oh, and yeah. film industry as well and have done for like many, many years now. And I don't know. I think it depends on like if the quality of those brands like suffer. So like, you know, I'm really, really holding out for like Hellblade 2. Like right. I love Ninja Theory. Like I'm a big fan of their games. I love the way their games look. And like, I'm a big fan. Like you and I talked about DMC Devil May Cry, which yes. you previously hated, but then came to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Thank God that is the correct opinion. <laughs> but um, Only after DMC 5 when it was like, oh, okay, this isn't the franchise now. This yeah. is like a cool little indie spinoff thing that kind of mm-hmm. works better in retrospect. Exactly. And it, plus the gameplay was solid. Mm-hmm. And like, so I'm really holding out hope for that game that I just hope it captures the magic and like the source of what they had in like the first game um, without like it kind of been, you know, Microsoftified where mm. suddenly it's like, oh, get different swords for like Senua, which is not what the <laughs> game is about. No. So it's just, I don't know. I, I'm always like tentatively like excited for things like that because I don't know. And like, obviously I've been burned by this before when like EA obviously went out and bought out like Bioware who mm. were this incredible company and now suddenly are like a shell of who they were. Mm. You know, like my fingers are still crossed for Dragon Age. They really are. I'm really holding out hope. <laughs> hope. I, I know, I know. When will it appear? How will it appear? <laughs> what will it look? I don't know. But um, and then obviously Mass Effect. God, we won't get that until when twenty ninety seven. Probably. I don't even. I'll just, at this point, I'm just happy if Bioware are still going. Yeah. Like uh, like for Dragon Age because we part of the things we were going to touch on in this just sort of wider discussion right now. We might do something else towards the end of the year more in detail. Mm. Um, but part of this is what does it you know what does it feel like as the year comes to a close to look towards next year and then what's left over? What thing? What irons are still in the fire? And Dragon Age is one of the big ones. Yeah. Um, same with Mass Effect. Like I think. Dreadwolf was first announced in like 2018. Yeah, um, it's been a while, and uh, Bioware suffered layoffs this year. They were part of the overall 6,000, uh, almost 7,000 amount of people that have been let go. Um, so for me, I'm like, if you guys can get anything over the finish line, oh, I'll same. take that. But they're kind of like Rockstar. It's kind of like an overall thing. Like many of those old school veteran studios don't have the veteran staff anymore. Yeah. They're some of them are just in name only, which is mm-hmm. which is a shame. But then at the same time, there were always support staff and you know less known names at those teams back then, and you would hope they can hopefully carry things forward yeah definitely i think like you know what if they're giving them more time to make the games then i say more for it like that's Mm. the approach that we should be go back to as we said for this year look at like all of these games that have come out these like a lot of them single player focused games Mm -hmm. where clearly the time has been taken to really refine and reflect them and i know like Baldur's Gate 3 and Alan Wake 2 are probably like take them out of the equation because they're independent obviously like people mm-hmm. like you've got Larry and obviously there and Remedy who are phenomenal well but the Remedy reason- like, that's the thing Remedy have changed over the years like yeah. they had a huge investment from Tencent mm-hmm. like they're not as um, standalone as Larry and R anymore mm-hmm. but they feel like it they, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and obviously like over the years as well like Sony's tried to buy them out so many times mm-hmm. and I'm so pleased that they've kind of stood their ground I know obviously the involvement with Tencent as well but like, Alan Wake 2 could have been a very different game. Oh, know? yeah. And I love the fact that it stayed true to, like, the identity of, like, Remedy, which is a funny thing to say because that has changed over time. Mm-hmm. But when you play Alan Wake 2, it fundamentally feels like a Remedy game. Yeah, you know, oh, like, yeah, by like, far. Like, you know, you can't imagine, like, you know, you play Mass Effect 3, that is a Rockstar game. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that, that no longer, like, does that feel like the Remedy, like, juices are in that. But um, An EA I, game for a Mass Effect? Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. Like, I mean, like, look at like Andromeda. Look at like Anthem. Definitely mm. feels like more. No, no like, I mean, if you're mentioning publishers, like, you said Rockstar. Like, you mean like EA? No, was Mass Effect. Sorry, did I say I meant? <laughs> <laughs> I meant Max Payne Three. Oh, Jesus yes, Christ! Um, had no idea what you were talking I think about. Like publisher influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Max yeah, yeah, Payne yeah. Three, yeah. massively rocks. That was Dan Houser, Like I mentioned him before. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So obviously the identity there has changed. Mass Effect. That was one of those things Jesus. where I was like, do I do I say the thing and then potentially like save you from a bunch of people messaging you on? Twitter no, no, no. Please call out the thing. <laughs> no, no. I meant Max Payne Three. Yes. Um, but yeah. So like. 
the identity there is so interesting, but I just, I really love the fact that, as I said, with Alan Wake 2, it feels like a Remedy game, right? And I'm just mm. hoping, like, going forward, like, with the likes of, like, Dragon Age 4 and, like, obviously whatever Mass Effect will look like. We've got that cheeky teaser recently for mm. a game that's going to come out in probably 10 years' time. But I really hope that we get back to that core identity of, like, what they do with games that makes them cool. And whether that is down to, like, the OG stuff that are no longer there anymore and, like, these new developers. You always see it in news, don't you, where it's like, oh, but there's still, you know, Bioware veterans that are still mm. working on this game. And it's like, but what does that mean? Like, yeah. you know, who were these people? Like, yeah, um, what they do in the past that would exactly. allow them to carry the torch forward. Yeah, like, they, they might have been there for so long, but what was it that they were doing, like, mm -hmm. back then, you know? So it's interesting, that conversation. Another thing, just to chuck in, is, uh, I don't know if you... I, I feel like I see just, like, hate tweets, which I am very much on the hate train against David Zasla, the, the head of... <laughs> Brothers, um, but he was being uh, shared around yesterday because there was an interview with him where he said it took it took courage to write off the various projects that he did, mm. um, being the Batwoman and uh, Acme versus um, Wiley e. Coyote or that mm. that movie that was um, yeah. sidelined in the Scoob movie as well. Um, and he was saying that you know there's some content that's going to let us win and there's some content that we need to like let go and whatever. And I was just like, oh my god, that overall approach, everything, every single thing being content, even though you finished the project. Like mm -hmm. I get the terminology, but um, having entire teams of people like, like artists and composers and uh, writers mm. and, and everybody else getting something over the finish line and then not being able to put it out into the world. Um, overall, I think that speaks to a general mentality from the top down from people like him where um, it is all about, you know, what's the safest thing we can do? They're, like mm. minimizing the risk. Like it's a lot of the stuff that Martin Scorsese has been talking about in regards to why Killers of the Flower Moon is, is important as a, as a film release. And then Christopher Nolan, it's all on the film side, but then Christopher Nolan um, putting a physical release out of Oppenheimer yeah. because um, Target over in, the, in America stopped selling physical releases and it's same over here like Tesco I think they're all part of the same chain anyway all the same conglomerate um, the idea that physical releases are going away and then Nolan was like no I'm going to fundamentally use my own production money or whatever to get this thing over the finish line um, and then it's sold out immediately mm -hmm. and it's like that idea of um, just because someone's at the very top it doesn't you don't need to mitigate risk you can put the money into the creative thing mm -hmm. um, and for gaming um, there's been some big mix ups this year some mm -hmm. big like things falling flat on their face like Lord of the Rings Gollum Redfall uh, the Skull Island <laughs> game and yeah. the Walking Dead Walking game. Dead, yep. But um, at the same time, the highs are higher than ever, and mm -hmm. they only reinforce the creative side. I am curious, though, for Baldur's Gate, because um, it was never trending in the top 10 on PlayStation. It was even mm -hmm. on release week. It wasn't in, when you go on the search bar, you look at the top 10 stuff. Yeah. It was never in there. It was always overshadowed by Spider-Man or Roblox that finally got on <laughs> PS5. And I'm just curious, like that idea of, you know, what does the competition take from Baldur's Gate? Because it is such a unique thing. It was crowdfunded. Mm -hmm. It was funded by, um, I forget the name, Sven Vink, the guy that owns Larian. That's Sven, yeah. Um, putting his own money in and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, that's an interesting thing as well because it's like Red Dead 2 happened in 2018 but that wasn't replicable because it was it was only Rockstar could afford to make that game yeah. um, and I'm curious like how much of a risk is creativity in an industry that is bigger than ever and does it to make it all full circle does it mean that if you want to make a more unique project you need to leave and do your own thing like what Dan House is doing yeah to jump sideways for a little bit like when you were talking obviously earlier about like physical release like obviously look at why Alan Wake 2 for many reasons why that game is bombing even though it's incredible because mm -hmm. it only has the digital release and yeah. I think that's putting a lot of people off as well mm -hmm. obviously for obvious reasons it makes complete sense we love the game but I'd love to own it as well like on a physical copy because hello shout out to our spoiler cast by the way exactly go check yeah. that out go and jump on player. that you talk all about that <laughs> but um but yeah, like Baldur's Gate 3 for me, like it's it's interesting. Like I'm so pleased it got a console release because mm -hmm. honestly, 
for me personally, I was quite surprised. Like you and I talked about the gameplay when you first mentioned, like, oh yeah, you, you like, roll up and then you get the wheel up, and I'm like, I'm sorry, a wheel? Because like, <laughs> I came from a plane on the PC where it's all kind of laid out properly, mm-hmm. and I'm used to that format from playing games like Neverwinter Nights, old school Baldur's Gate. That is what I know. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting that you know it's obviously gone over to the console. I'm so pleased that they did that because it allows like a lot of like people that obviously can't afford to have like a really good PC running because hell they are expensive mm-hmm. as is a PS5 to be fair. But you know like it allows people to access that type of game that maybe have never played that game before. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, to show off how those games can be just as bloody good as what they are. Yeah. I mean, Baldur's Gate 3, you know, like, more people should play and enjoy that because that really does highlight the best of what the gaming industry can do when it's allowed to be creative That's like that. That's the thing. And it's like, those two games, um, like I said, they're not necessarily soaring on console. Like, it's Spider-Man 2. It's, like I said, it's Roblox and stuff that's doing mm. really well. But Alan Wake 2, one of the most best, one of the best-looking games of the year. Oh like, it's, it looks better than Starfield. Like, games that you would expect to be top tier um, and that's because of Remedy being able to have the time to work on their own Northlight engine and then yes. go from there um, but yeah it's worth just, just shouting that stuff out and just as a token point going in as the as the year wraps up um, and shout out to the games of the year list that'll be going out soon I sat in a room for a long time I fought a <laughs> teleprompter to <Yes>. eventually <laughs> read out the article and the write up that I did on the top 20 games of the year but I think it's an interesting talking point as the industry's bigger than ever with more layoffs than ever um, and more production budget bigger production budgets than ever mm. as we um, go into the next year yeah, but yeah, we've still got another few weeks um, left of the year. We might do a more specific conversation about um, what's going to happen next year. Because I was looking at the releases, um, and I know we need to wrap up the wrestling boys. are banging on the door to get in. <laughs> but, um, you know, next year is going to have Tekken 8. It is going to have Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. But that, again, comes back around to the brand conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever unique ideas are in FF7 Rebirth, uh, narratively, which were in the original, the 2020 remake, is that only possible because you're dealing with the brand and you have a pre-baked audience? And then mm. that assumption of like, is, is the only way we can get a really cool thing over the over the line um, if it's backed by a brand or it's backed by crowdfunding? Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting thing for where a lot of IPs or industries are at in, in, in the entertainment space, trying to um, you know satisfy as many people as possible and how yeah. safe that gets over time. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, games coming out next year, which obviously we'll have a bigger conversation about, mm. but some of them are a mixture of that. And uh, I mean, look at very briefly, like Star Wars, like Outlaws, looks like a great game. Obviously, EA ran there with Star Wars but there's a lot of really in Dragon's Dogma 2 looks fantastic mm-hmm. as well there's a lot of games there obviously which are brand focused mm-hmm. but seem to be doing really interesting things and I just hope that they do excel but yeah that'll be a conversation we'll come back for another time we shall because for now it's been the What Culture Gaming Podcast I've been your host Scott Tilford joined by Adam Strawn goodbye everyone and we'll catch you throughout the week Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.